calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents The Triangle, Episode 7. David Segarra stared out at the floating debris, a glistening of diesel on the surface of the water. A few shattered pieces of fiberglass and shredded canvas. A champagne bottle bobbed nearby. That was all that remained of the yacht and its passengers. How could they be so stupid? Dumont whispered. It wasn't clear if she meant the althouses or the Russians. Sagara allowed himself a brief moment of sorrow for the lives lost, especially young Corey and his dream of finding his parents. He felt a separate pang for Malik, who had sacrificed everything for his brother just to see the boy's life thrown away as an inconvenient pawn. A cloud drifted across the sun, deepening the shadows. He let his gaze wander over the faces of the others. Hammond had gone sheet white and was staring at the point where the yacht had been, shaking with shock. McBride looked only marginally better. He opened his mouth, then closed it again, for once with nothing to say. St. Clair was stone-faced, but a quiver in her lip betrayed the emotion beneath the surface. Dumont pulled her hair back and stared out at the debris as if wishing to find some other explanation for what they'd just seen. Then her brow creased in thought. You know... Dumont rubbed her eyes, stared at the far horizon. I keep turning this over in my head, and... Although I can't explain it, I think Olivia is right. Time is funny here. Cigarra squared his shoulders and turned toward the submarine, water running down the black sides as the lagoon emptied. Take them back to the camp, he snapped at St. Clair. Get the gun. No one leaves. There was a chill as they all realized that he'd echoed the message from the sub. What are you going to do? asked Hammond. 
Cigarro was not used to being questioned at a moment like this. But then there was a lot about this week that was not what he was used to. He took a deep breath. I'm going to the submarine. Are you crazy? He just blew them out of the water. Hammond's words fell out in a tumble of fear and grief. You can't go with St. Clair. Cigarra turned and began walking along the coast of the lagoon. It would finish draining in just a few minutes, and he wanted to be there when it did. He could hear St. Clair nagging everyone to come along, but he didn't turn back. This was not open to discussion. Dmitri Kolesnikov had turned this into a combat encounter. He was the enemy. The soft patter of footsteps took a moment to register. Sigara turned and saw Malik coming up from behind. He shook his head. Go back to the others, boy. Not your boy, snarled Malik. His eyes were bright with anger and pain. Sigara felt for him, but this was neither the time nor the place. That's an order. No, he kept walking. I want to see the man who murdered my brother. Cigar reached for his shoulder, but Malik brushed him off, kept walking. Wait or without you, he said. Cigar recognized the same steel in Malik's posture as he felt in his own. Let me do the talking, he said, relenting. There was no response for a moment, and then Malik nodded without stopping. It left Sagara with no choice but to walk straight up to the submarine. The guards were already climbing out of the hatch, each one stopping as he got clear and pointing an automatic weapon at them, allowing the next one to climb out and move farther. Three others climbed out and moved to the rear toward their encampment. As the last of the water drained, there were more than a dozen men atop the submarine and two more coming down the gangplank. They stepped in time down to the sandy floor of the lagoon and lifted their weapons, saying something in Russian. Probably, halt or we'll shoot. Cigara ignored them. Dmitri Kolesnikov, he shouted. Come out here and face me like a man. The men kept their guns raised as they conferred. One called down the hatch. Another sailor clambered up from the makeshift encampment at the shore of the lagoon. Cigara noticed for the first time how lean the soldiers were, the sharp edges of their cheekbones and the tired look in their eyes. They straightened as another man came up the hatch, running a hand through his hair. Judging from the reaction of the guards, he was clearly of high rank. As the man strode down the gangplank, Cigara recognized him as the officer who had taken St. Clair to the medical bay, the XO. No sign of Dimitri. You should leave, the man said in a tired voice. I'm not leaving until I speak to Dmitri. Captain Kolesnikov, corrected the man, carefully pronouncing each syllable. He is busy and does not wish to speak to you. Sagara struggled to control the rage burning through him. Then you can explain your ship's actions. You've deliberately attacked an unarmed vessel, killing three civilians. Stop speaking and leave, said the young man. If you come closer to the submarine, we will shoot you. No, hear me out. Sagara took a deep breath, as if he had something important to say, but nothing came. He could not see what they could do. 
outclassed, outnumbered, outgunned, and the risk of a torpedo if they dared to leave the island, Dimitri held all the cards. At the encampment at the far shore, he saw two men shifting something heavy. For a brief moment, he got a clear view of a person, someone wounded, and then he focused on the face. It was Miller. She was lying on or perhaps tied down to a litter. Hear me out, Sigara said again, trying to buy time. Miller was out of the submarine. That meant they could get to her. They could rescue her. I am listening. Yexel folded his arms. Before Sigara could collect his thoughts, everything went sideways. Malik ran forward at full speed and swung. A wide right hook that looked straight out of Hollywood, aiming for the Exo's jaw. It was a solid punch with some force, and it might have done some damage if it had connected. But Malik's entire movement had telegraphed his intentions, and the slow blow was easily avoided. The Exo simply stepped back, allowing Malik to stumble with his own follow-through. Before he even knew that he'd missed, a blonde, broad-shouldered man with a livid scar across his cheek threw himself forward and grabbed Malik's still outstretched arm, pulling the boy toward him. He swept his feet across Malik's legs. Malik fell as the man wrapped his arm around Malik's neck and moved behind him, putting Malik into a chokehold. He held the choke as he lowered Malik to the ground, snapping something in belligerent Russian. Malik struggled for breath, but the man didn't loosen his hold. Half a dozen sailors trained their weapons on him. Bile rose in Sigara's throat, but there was nothing he could do. No way he could stop them from mowing Malik down in a spray of blood. All he could think was that at least St. Clair wasn't here to see the death of the second brother. There was no sound but the thud of his pulse in his ears. No one fired. Sigara stepped forward and the gun snapped toward him. He raised his hands, not wanting to join Malik on the wet sand. The XO moved between them, a harsh danger in his eyes. We are under orders not to attack the... He paused, looking for the right words. The inhabitants of the island, as long as they are not a risk to the island or the Soviet Union. The yacht was attempting to escape... I wish you no harm, but you test my resolve. And the missile? Choked out Malik, still furious. He writhed in the other man's grip, but the scarred sailor squeezed his bicep and forearm closed again. Torpedo, corrected Sigara out of habit. He kept his hands completely visible in a clear sign of submission. Give the boy a break. His brother was on the yacht that you blew up. The scarred man looked toward the XO, who snapped something, maybe a translation. Scarface loosened the chokehold, just a bit. Malik opened his mouth as if to argue again, but stilled at Cigar's glare. His brother? The XO looked surprised. The younger island boy? Yes. He was on the yacht. The Exo seemed surprised at this consequence of their shoot-first, ask-questions-later policy. Sigara had no sympathy. 
but he wasn't above using their surprise to Malik's advantage. He was fairly certain that the Russians were running out of supplies and guessed that they would not want another prisoner. Miller was injured and easy to control, but Malik was another question entirely. A problem for the submarine crew already at their breaking point. Let him go. Let me take him. He just lost the only family he has left. The Exo muttered something and then shoved a finger into Sagara's chest. You'll take responsibility for him, Sagara nodded. The Exo glared at Malik. You will leave with your vice admiral, or you will be shot. Belligerence and fury crossed Malik's face. Sagara's rage, in contrast, was as cold as ice. He would not allow the boy to scuttle his plans. The Russians needed not to be attacked, but to be beaten. This isn't the time, Sagara told him in a low voice, speaking quickly in the hopes that the XO wouldn't follow. You are surrounded, outnumbered. If you are going to do something, make it count. The XO shot Sagara a look, but the words had the desired effect. Malik stopped struggling against Scarface's hold. You are not the boss of me, he said, but his words lacked their earlier venom. No, I'm not, agreed Sagara. But right now I'm the closest thing to a friend you've got. Work with me, goddammit. Don't let yourself be killed as senselessly as your brother was. Malik's eyes dropped in a surly look, but he gave an almost imperceptible nod. Scarface felt the change in tension. He loosened his hold and caught Malik's elbow to help him stand. Malik shook him off and jumped to his feet, fury burning in his eyes as he stared at the dozen guns still aimed at them. Sagara knew he couldn't keep trying to talk to them, not with Malik at the end of his tether, desperate for revenge. He reached a hand toward Malik and then thought better of it. We'll leave. Tell Dimitri that I considered this to be an act of aggression against all of us, against all the islanders you claim to protect. I will escort you out of the city. To make sure they didn't see anything. I'm not the one that broke the truce, snapped Sagara. The XO gave a cold smile. One of the men might get the wrong idea and feel that a bullet in the back would save us all a lot of trouble. I am escorting you for your protection, as well as our own. Sagara shrugged and started walking. The XO fell in alongside. Malik sped up, walking slightly in front of them as if he just happened to be going in the same direction, but close enough that he couldn't be said to be breaking the agreement. The XO spoke quietly once they were out of range of the sailors. I am truly sorry about the boy. We didn't know. Sagara grunted in response. They'd blown up a civilian pleasure yacht but wanted to apologize for who was on it? He had no time for this. But there was one thing that was niggling him. As angry and frustrated as he was, he couldn't help asking... How long have you been here? He gave the man a sidelong glance. It's clear you are running out of supplies, and the island does not have the resources to supply all of your men. We think two years? 
Maybe two and a half, said the XO. Sometimes it is hard to say. Time is strange here. Cigar remembered Dumont saying the same thing. Then he thought about the slipstream around the island, the F-35 disintegrating before them. He couldn't think about the pilot. It was still too raw. But that plane alone... The next words from the Russian drove the image out of his mind. The last news we had was that your president had been shot. Did he survive? The president? Sigara paused as he struggled to understand. Shot? Malik kept walking. The XO shrugged, taking Sigara's confusion as a refusal to answer. He was already old, anyway. Brezhnev, too. Our leaders. They age badly. He scanned the area, presumably checking that no one was lying in wait. Then he gave Sigara a hard look. We will respond to any threat with violence, with aggression, with force. But it does not have to be that way. The choice of violence or not is yours. We are not looking for a war, Vice Admiral, and this is the truth. Sagara started to respond and then shook his head in anger. You fired in cold blood. The yacht was unarmed. The old houses never thought you would kill them for daring to leave. And you killed a boy who wanted nothing so much as his mother. Malik stalked away, but toward the hill and the trees, not back to the lagoon. Sagara let him. The XO shook his head. It is regretful. In wartime, terrible things happen. That doesn't mean we want the war. But until our reinforcements arrive, we will hold the island, Vice Admiral, and we will not relinquish control of the weapon. There was nothing more for Cigar to say, so he simply walked away. He and his team would take Miller, and then they would force Dimitri out of his submarine once and for all. The island was American. The files they had found already proved that much. If the Russians thought they could keep it, they had another thing coming. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Tessa Dumont sighed. None of it makes sense, she said. There's something very wrong with our calculations somewhere, and I am convinced that it has to be connected to the project. Hammond wasn't interested. How can you even think about that after what we've just seen? But that's just it. She couldn't get the vision of the exploding yacht out of her head any more than she could stop thinking about the rusting F-35 on the beach and the skeleton under the tarpaulin. 
I can't do anything about that. They're lost. What I can do, what we can do, is to unravel the mystery. What is happening on this island? What was the project? Well, I don't know what else we can do to find out about that. You've read all the logs that didn't get ruined. I can't get to the audio. Dumont tried not to look visibly disappointed. But you brought that entire bag of equipment. I wasn't expecting to have to deal with magnetic tape reel-to-reel. Once we get to civilization, sure. He looked at Dumont, looked away again. Was he wondering about what would happen with her, with them, once they returned home? She wasn't sure how he felt or how he was coping. She knew, on some level, that she was interested in his trauma to avoid dealing with her own. But at this point, that seemed as good a distraction as she would get. McBride seemed to have similar thoughts to hers. Well, those not relating to Hammond, which were the better thoughts to focus on anyway. We're at the center of a government conspiracy, he said. The Russians just stumbled upon this, I think, as we did. They probably think they can use the technology to bring back the Soviet Union. And who could blame them? He was interrupted by Cigar's arrival. It's worse than that. St. Clair looked up. Where's Malik? Those were the first words she'd spoken since they'd arrived back in the camp. He ran off after attempting to sucker punch the second in command, said Sagara. He sat down heavily next to her. He's lucky they didn't shoot him. I think he'll be okay, but he needs to cool down. He shook his head, clearly distracted. When was Reagan shot? McBride answered without thinking. 1981. And when was Brezhnev in power? From 1964 to 1982, I'll take Cold War facts for 200, Alex. He said they'd been stuck here for more than two years, Sagara said, half to himself. But Dmitri said they were true Soviets. And the XO said the last news they heard was that the American president had been shot. Kennedy was shot, said Hammond. That's even weirder. Besides, they'd know that President Kennedy didn't survive. He was pronounced dead the same day. Besides, the XO said he was old. Sigara massaged his temples. No, the only one that fits is President Reagan. Nothing else makes sense. But if he'd just been shot, why would they say they'd been here just two and a half years? Dumont did the math. If you're right... They've actually been here almost 40 years. How could they miscount so badly? It's not miscounting. A cold hand gripped Dumont's stomach as she spoke. She'd known this. Known it from the moment she remembered the date of Olivia's crash. But she hadn't wanted to admit it. Now there was too much evidence to ignore November 4-6, Charlie Sierra disappeared five years ago with two adults and one child on board. The aircraft glided to shallow water and then broke up on impact, allowing Olivia to climb out. I've been able to get this from her in her witness interviews. You've been interviewing her? Hammond was aghast. She ignored him. It's possible that the accident report is wrong and Olivia's recollection is correct. That the accident happened only a few months ago. 
That's what I assumed until now. But then, let's look at the Zuiki brothers. They described a political situation and collection of storms that St. Clair doesn't recognize, at least not in recent months. But you said there was such a situation ten years ago, right? St. Clair slowly nodded. That's right, but hear me out. The Russians tell us that the island is a weapon. That they are Soviets. Some sort of modern splinter faction, we thought, but why? Because they are too young to have been here since the Soviet Union. And yet, and yet, the XO asked about the shooting of our president, said McBride. They are Soviets. They sat in stunned silence, each taking it in. Then Sigara spoke. It doesn't matter. The end result is the same. If we remove power to the city, maybe the men will suddenly show their real age. Maybe everything will go back to normal. But even if it doesn't, we need to disrupt the hydrofan so that we can get off the island. That means disabling or destroying the submarine. St. Clair shook her head. We are talking about the, um, nuclear submarine, right? Is it just me? Or does destroying it sound to anyone else like a fast way to ruin everyone's day? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. First, we need to take away their ace. We need to rescue Miller. I saw her. Everyone started speaking at once, and then quieted to hear more. I only got a glance. She's in a litter on the north shore of the lagoon, where they have the encampment. The Russian Holiday Resort? Quit McBride. It makes sense. No one wants to treat a sick person in a submarine. It's not a healthy environment. I can't believe the captain has kept them in there all this time. Well, she's there now. And more important, high tide is coming. They'll only leave five or six of them out of the sub. We can take them. Won't they just radio to the submarine for help? Hammond shook his head. Their radios aren't going to work any better than ours do, especially if their technology is from the 1980s. He chewed his lip. You know, they might have a magnetic tape reader on board. If they did, they'd already have collected the audio tapes, said Dumont. They would only have left them in the city if they weren't able to use them for information. Even if there are only five or six men, said McBride, they are armed, we're not. What are we going to do, pelt them with coconuts? Hammond agreed. We can't take them, we'll get slaughtered. We're six if we take Malik, said St. Clair. But I don't like it, Admiral. If we try a frontal attack, then they'll know exactly what we are after. They'll never leave Miller, or worse, they might kill her to ensure she doesn't end up in our hands. Better to lure them away from the camp and then grab Miller. Oh, clever said McBride at the same moment as Hammond said, It's too dangerous. But Sigara seemed to like the idea, too. He stared into the middle distance, deep in thought. We could stage a raid, make it look like the island is under attack. McBride agreed. Send Malik back in to try to give one of them a bloody nose? You aren't risking him just to save Miller, snapped St. Clair. Hello, he was doing it for no gain earlier, McBride shot back. Or light a fire, Dumont said quickly. 
She took a swig of water and wished for more. If there's a fire, they would have to respond. Burn the still, said McBride. That'd get him running. They have a still? He nodded. They're making moonshine over by the fruit trees. A big pail of fermenting fruit and a jury-rigged still made from an old barrel and a bunch of pieces of submarine. Pretty sure Dimitri doesn't know about it. I'm sure he doesn't, said Sagara. Is it any good? It's not bad, said McBride. St. Clair interrupted. This is the closest they've got to shore leave. If you really want to distract them, you shouldn't put them on full alert. She's got a point, McBride said and waggled his eyebrows. The men all looked at her, and she shook her head. No way. That's not what I meant. Dumont stepped up next to her, anxious to show St. Clair the same support as St. Clair had shown for her. Not happening. I get what you mean, though, said Hammond. Stranded here, whether two years or forty, they've got to be dying for entertainment. If we could lure them away for something good... His words trailed off. I need my bag. I'll be right back. Dumont watched him go and shrugged. I can't see how we do it. Invite them to dinner and then knock each one over the head as they arrive? Yeah, no, said St. Clair. I can't see it working. Hammond reappeared with his bag slung over his shoulder and his tablet in his hand, swiping through the audio interface. Yes. Yes. Dumont crossed her arms ready to shoot down another crazy idea. When the Admiral took our phones, I put some movies on the drive. There was plenty of space, and I thought we might end up with dead time while we were traveling. One of the movies on the drive is The Hunt for Red October. You know, Sean Connery and the Invisible Russian Submarine. I'm sorry, you what? St. Clair snorted. You're going to invite them to a movie. Maybe popcorn. No, don't be silly. But the movie is in Russian for the first few minutes of every scene. So we broadcast that behind the city, maybe by the beach with the hydrofan, and they'll hear Russian voices and come looking. They'll think it's a rescue. McBride burst out laughing. Classic! Dumont smiled at the joke. St. Clair rolled her eyes so hard Dumont was worried they might fall out. But to her surprise, Sigara started nodding. That's not a bad idea. If we can get some of them out of the camp, that'll be enough. He jumped to his feet. You need to pull them this way so they'll be out of sight of the encampment. The trick is that this has to appear to be totally non-aggressive. When they work out that the audio is coming from you, well, then, then it's just an American movie. No one can complain. McBride, you stay with Hammond for when they come looking. You can talk them to death. He grabbed a stick and started drawing in the sand. St. Clair and Dumont go into the camp from behind, via the hydrofan. The sailors left there won't think of them as a threat, so they'll be slow to respond. You take them out and grab Miller. Hammond interrupted. That's just crazy. It's perfect. I'll stay out of sight and cover them with the gun. Maybe at the high ground here. He X'd a spot close to the encampment. If St. Clair can't knock them out quickly, we might have a fight. Once we have Miller, the game is up anyway, so there's no point in pretending. He broke the stick in half. It wasn't me who started this war, but I'm damn well gonna finish it.
Dumont felt a chill at his words. This was a sign to the Admiral that they hadn't seen before, and she knew he'd been pushed beyond his limits. His priorities had changed. Sagara was driven by a burning anger that would never extinguish. But he was right. They needed to get Miller before they could do anything else. So why was Hammond still arguing? I don't like it. Too risky, especially for Dumont. Just accept that you had a good idea for once, said McBride. The hunt for Red October, who would have thought? Hammond looked at Dumont. She assumed he wanted her opinion. I think it can work, she said. He scowled in response. Apparently that was the wrong answer. But why do you need to go to the camp? Why can't St. Clair do it by herself? Don't be ridiculous. St. Clair can't carry Miller all on her own. Hammond crossed his arms, took a deep breath. Dumont braced herself for an argument, but his words surprised her. I'm going to go restock the water. Come with me. Dumont bristled. It sounded like an order, not a question. Please? I can't carry all the bottles on my own, he said. Which was true, although she noticed he'd mimicked what she'd said about St. Clair. Fine. She stood, brushing the sand from her jeans. How long until high tide? They had some time to kill anyway. Cigar looked out toward the water. Tide's already turning, so we're just waiting on the duct work now. The lagoon will start filling in an hour. We'll move in once the sub is submerged. Hammond collected the empty bottles from St. Clair and started heading toward the slope, leaving Dumont to catch up. What's with you? She asked once they were out of earshot. I don't like the plan. Hey, you're the one who came up with this. You got a better one? He stomped in silence until they reached the pool below the waterfall. No, I don't have a better one. He started filling the plastic bottles, handing the full ones off to Demont. But there's no reason for you to be at the encampment. It's dangerous. Of course it is, but it needs to be done. It's less dangerous than... Why is the Admiral slinking around in the background, putting you at the front line? Typical military thinking. To him, you're just a pawn. That's not true. He can handle the gun better than anyone but St. Clair. And he's right. If they see him, they'll be a lot more suspicious about what's going on. Whereas me and St. Clair, you can't risk yourself like this, Tessa. He stacked the bottles at the side of the spring, and then got up and took her in his arms. She had needed this since the attack on the yacht, but now she didn't like the way he was holding her. More like he wanted to prove a point than like they were two equals taking comfort in each other. She stepped back. What exactly are you saying? I'm saying you should refuse. Sagara is putting you in an impossible situation. Sagara, she noticed, not the Admiral. This was some sort of alpha male jockeying for position. She'd seen it at the NTSB, of course, but she'd never understood it. They didn't have time for this kind of bullshit. The Admiral, she said in a cool voice, pulling away from Hammond, is taking responsibility for a plan to rescue Miller from a nuclear submarine that just released a torpedo on a pleasure boat, killing a couple and a young boy looking for rescue. 
What part of this scenario would you like to make less perilous? The part where you go barging into the encampment with St. Clair. Why are you upset about me and not her? She's a police officer. She signed up for this. You are an NTSB investigator, for God's sake. A glorified researcher, an academic. And now here you are, suddenly acting like you're Indiana Jones. Laura Croft, maybe? Snapped Dumont. Whatever. That's not who you are. No. No, that's not how this works. You don't get to define who I am or what I do. She took a deep breath. This is why I don't do relationships. Because somehow, in between kissing someone, I always end up being told I'm a disappointment. That I'm not doing what I should be doing. That I'm not the person the other person thought I was. That's not what I'm saying. She whirled toward him. That's exactly what you are saying, Hammond. You are putting me in a little box that fit the woman you lost, and you are telling me that I have to stay inside that little box or else you will be upset. And I'm sorry, but I'm not who you think I am, apparently. I'm not going to be a stand-in for your dead fiancé. She swallowed hard, half wishing she could take back the words, but it was too late. And she'd be damned if she was going to let him see how much it hurt her. It was fun. Let's just move on. She allowed herself one last look at him. The guy who she thought understood her. But apparently, he didn't know her at all. I have to go. I've got a rescue to plan. She hugged the water bottles to her chest and left without looking back. Marie St. Clair glanced up as Dumont came back with the water. Her instinct to ask where Hammond was died with one look at Dumont's angry eyes. She took the bottles from her one by one and placed them back under the palm leaves. Clearly, they'd argued. It was better not to ask. The Admiral, as usual, had the sensitivity of a toad. He'd started grumbling about the plan already. This is not the team I would choose for a military operation, he said. Where the hell is Hammond? Hey, I could always go get that old coot to help us out, offered McBride. He's trigger happy. He's a survivor, said Sigara. And then, there you are, as Hammond appeared with the rest of the water and a face like thunder. I'm serious, said McBride. Just think how long he must have been on this island. He grabbed one of the bottles of water and took a swig. If Dimitri's boys have been here 40 years and still look like boys, then this guy, why, I bet he knows all about the project. Hammond's expression cleared, became hopeful. Damn it, McBride is right. The guy has probably been here from the start, working for the original project. Maybe he could tell us what they were doing. We might not have hit a dead end after all. Leader, said Sagara. We can try to talk to him after we've got Miller safe. But later, I said. Sagara's voice brooked no argument. He turned to St. Clair. You ready? She nodded and handed him the gun, which she'd grabbed from the cave. It seemed like a bad time to tease him about not losing it. Right behind you, she said instead. Great. Let's do this. 
They hiked up the slope and along the ridge to get a view of the encampment. Their luck was in. There were only five soldiers along with Miller in the litter. They were talking and laughing. Even Miller, although she couldn't have understood much of what they were saying. So she wasn't being mistreated. That was something. St. Clair took a long look at the landscape surrounding the encampment and then nodded. She was as ready as she'd ever be. It took longer to find a place where Hammond was happy with the acoustics. I didn't bring broadcast equipment, so we need to use the natural features for amplification, he said. At least he wasn't sulking anymore. Look, here, this works. Now we need to focus the sound downward in the direction of the lagoon. The waves will travel slower as the air gets cooler and then bounce off the water. They won't be sure where the sounds are coming from. He looked around again. I haven't needed to think about outdoor sound propagation since I was in college. I just hope it's clear enough for them to recognize. Quiet notes of music came from Hammond's rig as he tested, and then choir voices singing something in a foreign language. He tapped on his tablet to silence it and started placing the speakers. St. Clair and McBride exchanged looks. This was crazy, it was true. But Cigarro was right. They couldn't make any direct moves against the Soviets until they had Miller. The Admiral must have been having similar doubts. I should never have let you talk me into this. Hammond looked up from his work angrily. Hey, don't look at me, sir. There was something nasty about his usage of the honorific. I don't like anything about this, especially not sending a civilian, as you call us, into the middle of a Soviet encampment. He crossed his arms. If anything happens to Tessa, I'm holding you directly responsible. Tessa is responsible for herself, Dumont muttered under her breath. Ah, so that's what they were arguing about. McBride spoke before Hammond had a chance to argue. Look, we agreed that your movie could lure them away without making them suspicious. We all want the same thing, to get Miller out of there. Let's just try this. He sighed. Please don't make me be the voice of reason. It's not a comfortable position for me. St. Clair laughed despite the tension. He's right. She took a long look at Dumont. Are you up for this? She wouldn't think less of the woman if she backed out, but Dumont nodded forcefully. Yes, I am. Come on, then. No point in hanging around and letting Hammond wind her up. Better to just get on with it. She went over the plan as they walked. We'll swing around the back and approach the encampment from the coastal side. Once we hear Hammond's broadcast, we'll move in close enough to see who's there. If they've all stayed put, we'll pull back, write it off. But if we're lucky, they'll want to know what's going on. As they walked, she watched the ground, pushing the foliage out of the way. Finally, she saw what she was looking for. A big, heavy branch from one of the fruit trees, green leaves still attached. I'm hoping they leave just two of them in the camp guarding Miller. If so, we attack. I'll take whichever one looks bigger. She peeled the twigs and leaves from the branch and swung it. Good balance. Your job is to come up behind the other one and hit him over the head as hard as you can with this. She raised the cudgel for Dumont to see, but held on to it for the moment. Dumont looked scared half to death, but she nodded. And then what? Well, hopefully, 
It'll confuse him. I just need enough time to disable the first one. If you can buy me even thirty seconds, it could make a difference. Our advantage is surprise. The surprise of the attack, but also the surprise that they are being attacked by women. She smiled. I wouldn't say this in front of Sigara, but I am more than happy to use their arrogant assumptions against them. So try to knock him out, but don't worry if he sees you. You are going to immediately confuse him just by looking like you. What if I kill him? St. Clair shook her head. You won't. Don't worry about that. Just hit him as hard as you can. It didn't seem likely that Dumont would kill him, but more important, she needed to make sure that Dumont wasn't pulling her punches. St. Clair considered asking Dumont about her fight with Hammond, but thought better of it. It was none of her business. As soon as they are down or backed up, we'll each take a side of the litter. You take her feet, I'll take her head. Don't mess around. We just need to get Miller out of there. Fast. We'll follow the shore of the lagoon to the coast. She pointed the way as they moved through trees. Forget about trying to stay hidden. Just run straight back to the camp. God knows how much time we'll have before the soldiers come back. What if there are three of them? St. Clair frowned. If three stay behind, then it is more difficult. Probably Sagara would have to shoot one. But Dumont was freaked out enough without St. Clair putting that into her head. We'll have to see how it looks once the movie starts. Okay. Dumont's voice was steely, but her hands were shaking like a leaf. I've got it. Here. St. Clair gave her the branch. I have something to hold on to. Dumont took her seriously. She wrapped both hands around the end and gave it a careful swing. They passed the turbulent water above the hydrofan and headed inland, back toward the lagoon. There's one important thing you need not to do, said St. Clair, trying to fend off the creepy feeling the clearing of the substation gave her. Dumont looked at her, eyes wide, ready for the important lesson. Don't hit yourself in the head. It's embarrassing. You'll never live it down. Finally, a real laugh from Dumont. Right. Don't hit myself in the head. That's an order I think I can follow. They went silent as they returned to the cover of the trees, dead leaves crackling under their feet. In the distance, something echoed. Voices. No, music. Both. Hammond had started. They slipped toward the encampment. Dumont shook her head. I can't make it out at all. No way they will recognize their voices as Russian. St. Clair shushed her. This was a critical moment, when the Russians' curiosity needed to outweigh their suspicion. She shifted for a quick glance into the camp. The sailors were sitting easily, not on alert, looking like any group of young men hanging out on the beach, shooting the breeze. They didn't even have their guns. She spotted them piled up on a piece of canvas. Within easy reach, sure, but they were clearly not expecting a fight. A vodka bottle filled with a murky liquid stood in the sand before them, probably the moonshine McBride was talking about. One of them said something, to which another responded with a rude gesture. The group collapsed into laughter. Then Hammond's echo got louder, the voices coming through more clearly. 
The man nearest Miller, a red-headed man, slightly older than the rest, stood up with a confused look on his face. The others started looking around and standing up as the sound continued. There was a brief conversation. St. Clair suspected it was some form of, what the hell is that? And then, exactly as they'd hoped for, one of them raised his eyebrows in some sort of recognition. Did he hear the Russian? It just sounded like echoes to St. Clair, but maybe that was because she couldn't pick out the words. By now, they were all standing and looking around. Two of them headed to the hills, directly toward Hammond's perfect spot. So much for leading them astray. The redhead shouted something after them, and they came back to get their guns. The redheaded man grabbed his too, and the three of them headed out. St. Clair pumped her fist. Result, only two left. Then another one shouted something and ran with them. That left just one man at the camp. He was the biggest of the five, which figured. But St. Clair fancied her chances. She knew he wasn't expecting to be hit. She could take him. She waved at Dumont to come closer. When I run out, you run behind me, but stay out of the way. She gave her a worried look. Do not try to hit my guy with the club. You'll probably brain me. Dumont nodded and lowered the branch. St. Clair took a steadying breath. As she went to rush the man, a voice called out. Not the movie, but one of the Russians. She froze. The big man shouted back and ran to catch up to his friends, without even a glance at Miller. A moment later, he disappeared over the hill. Seriously? She was so shocked, she'd said it aloud, and Miller looked their way in surprise. With no reason to remain concealed anymore, St. Clair stepped into the clearing. That was better than we'd hoped for. Miller shifted to try to sit up. What are you doing? Hi, said Dumont. We're your rescue crew. Really? Miller simply looked bemused. Do I need rescuing? St. Clair cut her off with a worried look at the ridge. We'll talk it to camp. Come on. Dumont went to Miller's feet and they picked up the litter. This is totally unnecessary, said Miller. We've got you, don't worry. Sinclair turned so that she was carrying the front of the litter behind her and started a gentle jog, leaving Dumont to catch up. I'm not worried, said Miller. She giggled. Well, other than about whether you'll drop me. Maybe she was sedated, Valium or some other happy pill. St. Clair shushed her. They needed to get out of there and fast. The voices continued bouncing off the rocks, but now she could clearly hear English. Yes, that sounded like Sean Connery. Dumont heard it too. What are they doing up there? I don't care, so long as they buy us enough time to get around this side of the lagoon. We don't want to be trapped here once Dimitri discovers we've taken this hostage. She wasn't sure what the submarine captain would do once he realized that, but she agreed with Sagara. They had to take the risk. Until they'd gotten Miller back, Dimitri held all the cards. Now he held all the cards, but one. Michael Hammond was still laughing, his head buzzing with excitement as he and McBride entered their camp. His heart sang to see the two women safely back, and also Miller, sitting up on her elbows in the litter, looking alert and healthy. 
You made it! Hammond waved his arms excitedly, not sure what to do with the elation streaming through him. You got her! You dragged all five of the guards from the camp, said St. Clair. How the hell did you do that? They followed the sound right away, said Hammond. But they weren't fooled by the echoes, they came straight to us. It's not that big an island, said McBride. And so I just showed them the movie on the tablet. They thought it was hilarious and... No, they thought the Russian was hilarious, interrupted McBride. They kept repeating each line and collapsing in fits of giggles. I couldn't believe it. They loved it. Four of them, so I knew you only had one guarding Miller. But then they shouted for the other guy to come see. The Admiral entered the camp, still looking tense. He nodded at Miller. Good to have you back, he said tersely. He didn't look impressed or even happy that they'd rescued her. Typical. McBride did make a fair attempt to talk their ears off, Hammond continued, still intent on enjoying their success. Not that they understood a word of it, and I just kept fast-forwarding to the next scene with Russian in it. St. Clair shook her head in happy disbelief. They weren't suspicious. She held her hand out to Sagara, who paused for a moment and then handed her the gun. Nope. I mean, yeah, a bit, but not of us. Just about the technology. One of them kept taking the tablet and turning it over, like he was trying to work out where the projector was. St. Clair took the dirt path toward the cave to hide the gun. Now that Sagara wasn't armed, Hammond felt a bit more confident in arguing with him. They really didn't see us as the enemy. McBride was still heavily in storytelling mode. They completely lost it when Sean Connery spoke Russian, said McBride. By then, the Admiral had signaled us to tell us that the camp was clear and you had Miller. We didn't try to keep them there, just said our goodbyes, nice and casual-like, and then ran like rabbits as soon as they started down the hill. Dumont chewed her lip. That means they know by now that we took Miller. Do you think they're on their way? Sagara shook his head. They'll wait for the submarine. They're in enough trouble as it is. So what's the plan? St. Clair said as she returned. We should retreat to the cave and see what they do, said Hammond. It's the easiest point to defend. Dumont groaned. We'll have to carry Miller up there. Miller laughed and sat up. No, you don't. I can walk. She stood and grinned. Dumont's mouth fell open and even St. Clair looked shocked. Well, you never asked, said Miller, still laughing. Hammond grinned with her. She didn't seem to be the worse for wear for her captivity, underscoring exactly what he was trying to say all this time. The Russians didn't have to be the enemy. But as usual, Sagara saw things in black and white. I am under no circumstances going to wait for them to make the next move. We must catch them off balance. We have an advantage now. For the first time since we encountered the lagoon, we have to take it. St. Clair snorted. Yeah, Dimitri lost his advantage. Now he just has a billion-ruble nuclear submarine with armed torpedoes. And we have a gun and some bottles of water, volunteered McBride. Miller spoke up. I wasn't particularly... Sagara waved her quiet. St. Clair can make more clubs. We must gain control of the city at any cost. His attention fixated on Miller. You know that submarine better than anyone, Miller. How do we disable it? Hammond shook his head before Miller could respond. 
But how can we possibly attack them? All this crazy talk of war and aggression and violence. Surely there must be another option. Can't we just talk to them and work something out? I mean, the USSR doesn't even exist anymore. Surely if we went to Dmitri and... Captain Kolesnikov, as I was so pointedly reminded, has no interest in talking to us. He is holding the island hostage in the name of a government that no longer exists. Everything he believed in has failed. Even if we were to convince him of that, he would hold an outright priority of stopping the United States from regaining possession of the facilities. And in case you have forgotten, I am a representative of everything he considers to be the enemy. But we could retreat to the cave and hold them off there. We don't have to... Sagara cut him off again. If there's no honor, there is nothing. Hiding here without any recourse or retribution, is that what you want? Throwing away our chance to escape the island because you don't want to disturb Dimitri and his crazy crew? They aren't so crazy, said McBride. But he held his tongue after the look Cigar gave him. Miller's quiet voice filled the camp. I don't think that's a good idea, Miller swallowed. Sir? Hammond wanted to cheer her on, even as he was frightened for her. He didn't know the military very well, but that sounded dangerously close to insubordination from the master-at-arms. Sigara clearly felt the same. We are not the ones initiating. They fired on an unarmed vessel, killing three civilians. Yes, but I don't think they meant to... Miller's words died away at the look on Sigara's face. You will tell me everything you know about that submarine, and that's an order. He took a deep and unsteady breath. This isn't some island holiday sailor. That captain took out the USS Wasp and all who were on board. Yes, sir. And then quietly. Are you sure, sir? Of course I'm sure, he bellowed. We had a clear report that the Wasp was wrecked on the island, and now she's gone, with all on board. No doubt Dimitri torpedoed her out of the water just as he did the yacht. Um, about that, said McBride. Shut it, McBride. But McBride kept going. His voice was so uncharacteristically nervous, they all turned toward him. That uh, smuggler in the hospital? He... He never saw the ship. What are you talking about? He clearly saw a U.S. Navy ship, he told us. No, he told you exactly what I told him to tell you. McBride swallowed, his Adam's apple bobbing. While you were on the phone, I wanted you to have some hard information so we could progress. As usual, McBride didn't know when to stop talking. Hammond tried to help. Admiral, he said. Not now, Hammond, said Sagara. His eyes blazed. Are you telling me this is a wild goose chase? That there was no report of the wasp at this location? Well, not so much a goose chase, said McBride, waving a vague hand in the direction of the lagoon. Look at everything we found here. We're on a rescue mission, exploded Sagara. To find and recover the sailors on the USS Wasp. We are not here to help you write your goddamn book. 
He wiped his hands on his pants. Give me the gun back, St. Clair. The tide will be turning right around sundown. I'm gonna take them out my damn self. That's a suicide mission, said St. Clair. Hammond nodded in agreement. I've already failed in my mission, he said, his voice hoarse. The least I can do is something meaningful as a last act. I will speak to Dimitri, and if he doesn't come out of his goddamn submarine, I will shoot his guard in the head, and I'm going to keep shooting until I run out of bullets. That'd be three, offered Dumont, who had of course kept count. Never tell him the odds, said Hammond under his breath. There are no options left to us, said Cigar through clenched teeth. You can't attack the submarine with clubs. It's up to me. They stared at each other in silence, no one knowing quite what to say to calm him. Then St. Clair grabbed a bottle of water and held it out to him. Admiral, please. We have a few hours before the lagoon will drain, she said. Let's regroup in an hour and discuss. If no one has a better plan, then you can have the gun. Deal? The look he gave her was pure fury, but he clearly realized there was nothing he could do until the tide turned anyway. He took the water from her and nodded. One hour. Yes, sir, said Miller. Dumont and Hammond nodded. Smart, said McBride. A bit of good old-fashioned brainstorming. He pushed some palm leaves together and lay down on them. I do my best thinking when horizontal, he added. There was no way Hammond could sit still for an hour. He didn't want to die here, alone on this godforsaken island with a nuclear submarine full of Soviets and a trigger-happy admiral, all fighting over some useless, decades-old secret project that no one even understood. He never asked to be stranded here, never asked for any of this. That made him think of Olivia. She was oblivious to the craziness of the adults around her, of course, which was maybe the best thing for her, but it also put her at high risk of getting caught in the crossfire. Hammond stood up. We need to warn the others, he said. I'm going to look for Olivia. Tell her she needs to stay out of the way. Cigarro opened his mouth to argue, but Hammond had had enough. Don't try to stop me. She's got no one to look out for her and no idea what's going on. He tried to put it into terms that the Admiral would understand. If it's going to be war on this island, someone needs to let the civilians know. I need to warn Olivia. And Malik, said St. Clair. Malik is already at war, muttered Sigara. This is no surprise to him. But then, to Hammond's surprise, he gave his agreement. If you can find the little girl and get her to stay out of the way, that would be good. I don't know how this is going to go down. For half a second, he looked tired and unhappy, a lot older than his years. Then he shook it off. But hurry. Once the tide changes, we need to be moving in on them. Whatever happens, I'm not going to sit here and wait to be attacked. I'll hurry. Hammond turned to Miller. Want to come with me? Dumont glanced at them and then looked away again. Was she jealous? Good. 
he dismissed the uncharitable thought out of his head. He was trying not to think about her. Miller's going to sit herself down and tell me everything she knows about that submarine, barked Sagara, and that's an order. Miller was already sitting before he'd finished the sentence. McBride pulled himself up. I'll come with you. I'd like a look around. Hammond forced a smile. Sure. He led the way toward the beach, past where the F-35 lay rotting in the shallows, toward the outhouse's camp, which seemed like an obvious place to find Olivia or maybe even Malik, looking to take back what he could. But when they arrived at the beach camp, it was abandoned, a deep ridge in the shallow water still marking where the yacht had been. There was plenty of more tangible evidence of the camp. Martini glasses stood stacked by a bucket, as if waiting for someone to do the dishes. A blanket was spread over the white sand with empty bottles of wine pinning down the corners, the remains of a fruit picnic rotting on dirty plates. Flies buzzed around a small pit full of trash near the tree line, fruit rinds and wine bottles and an empty plastic container of suntan lotion. I guess they figured the cleaners would arrive eventually. Big Bride found a stack of blankets and suitcases in a sheltered corner, clearly used as some sort of storage area. He started pulling everything out. You can't just go through their stuff. Hammond was appalled. Why not? They aren't likely to complain, said McBride. Besides, I'm missing something, and I wondered if it might have ended up here. Look, there is Dumont's NTSB cap. And are those St. Clair sunglasses? These people were like the magpies of the island. It was all an adventure to them, said Hammond sadly. Until the end... Big Bride was rummaging through a box. Or a business opportunity. He held up a piece of paper folded into thirds. This is a mock-up brochure for a rejuvenation program. He started laughing. You don't have to look younger if everyone else is getting older faster than you. Olivia must have been here, said Hammond. Look, there's a little tea party. He stepped closer to the table. A large leather-encased box with brass trimmings and a stylish handle of bone or ebony. What's this? He flipped open the brass latches and then froze as he lifted the lid. Hey, said McBride. Are you okay? You look like you've seen a ghost. Hammond stroked a finger around the reels. It's a boozy and hawks. A what? It's a clockwork tape recorder. Holding his breath, he turned the round knob with a loud click. Nothing happened. I need to take a look at this. I bet I could jury-rig it. He looked at McBride, his mind spinning at what they'd found. The althouses must have taken it from the research center. The timing is right. This would have been state-of-the-art in the early 1950s when they set up the base. A portable device for recording and playing reel-to-reel. That rich couple probably had no idea what it was. The predecessor of the Walkman, you mean? McBride grunted, clearly not impressed with their find. Hammond struggled to explain, his heart in his throat. Yeah, something like that. Hammond turned the knob and closed the case. But more than that, it's the way to stop the war. Don't you see? If I can make this work... I can access all those audio files we found. This is the key to the island. 
he started running back to the camp. And neither Sagara nor Dimitri can use it without me. You're listening to The Triangle, narrated by Neil Helligers. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The Triangle is written by Dan Cobalt, Mary McGinnis, and Sylvia Spruck Wrigley. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.